Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Thinking Christian Podcast. This is your host, Dan Kramer. I want to welcome you for uh, welcome you to today's podcast. I want to thank you for joining me today. If this is your first visit to this podcast, feel free to go to my website. That's www.thethinkingchristian.us. That's all one word, thethinkingchristian.us. There you'll find my website and information about this podcast. You'll find information um, about me, uh, about some of the other interests, and there's plenty of resources there to read, and to, to, read uh, to browse. You'll find all of the previous podcast episodes there at the website, so feel free to download those uh, and li- listen whenever you like. Now, as always, feel free to comment. Uh, comment. There's a comment section for each and every podcast, so pick the one you hate the most and leave a comment. Those are always welcome. All right, getting into today's episode. Why won't God heal amputees? This might seem a really strange question to you. You're thinking, what in the world are we talking about here? And I have to admit, it's not really my question. I I came across this question uh, in a video quite a few years ago. Um, I think the video was on YouTube. Uh, I don't recall how I found it, whether it was, you know, I just, I just don't remember how I, I just remember watching it one time. And it was really part, I think, of a larger series of video called uh, 10 Questions Every Intelligent Christian Must Answer. Uh, I consider myself an intelligent Christian, and, and so I was intrigued, I suppose, and watched the video. Um, and this particular Why Won't God Heal Amputees caught my attention, and I want to talk about that today. Now, the video was put out by, uh, I would say, skeptics of the Christian faith. They were, I don't get the sense at all, that these are evangelical or conservative Christians. These are um, probably not Christians at all. And I really think that they're not just asking people to think, but I think there's a challenge there to Christianity in them uh, because these questions, are, I think, are posed in such a way to make people doubt their faith. Now, let me say, I'm not opposed to skepticism. Uh, not at all. Uh, I, I welcome skepticism. I consider myself a skeptic. Uh, I have to, you know, think through the process. I don't just accept anything because maybe someone tells me to accept it, or uh, you know that that I think there might be other reasons to accept something. I I have to kind of look at it. So I'm a skeptic, and and I welcome skepticism. It's not bad. I think skepticism can be a healthy thing. I think it can be unhealthy if we take it too far. And when I say too far, I mean take uh, when we remain skeptical in spite of overwhelming evidence to no longer remain skeptical then i believe it's unhealthy so uh, i'm not against skepticism don't get don't uh, take this wrong um, not at all uh, but uh, i i here at the thinking christian podcast am interested in looking at things reasonably logically pragmatically and that's what i intend to do today with this question so let me let me talk about this video that i saw why won't God heal amputees? In a nutshell, let me kind of give you what I believe they were saying. Uh, they were saying, hey, uh, people are getting healed by God all the time. We have people with back pain. We have people with cancer. We have people with the flu. And we have all kinds of uh, maladies that people are being healed from all the time. But have you ever noticed that God won't heal an amputee? Have you ever noticed that at a... Benny Hinn crusade, and I'm just picking him for example, you know, somebody who's claiming to be a healer, that an amputee doesn't walk up to the stage and 
everybody lays his hands on him and prays over him, and suddenly that part of his body that's missing reappears. You know, we don't have people who are missing legs or missing arms or missing fingers or something like that uh, coming up front for prayer and then finding that those digits, those uh, appendages have come back. And so they ask, well, maybe God hates amputees. Maybe God has something against amputees. You need to ask that question yourself. Why won't God heal an amputee? He'll seemingly heal everyone else, but why not an amputee? Now, um, let me let me first kind of side with the skeptic here uh, on on one point. Um, I've seen some of these so-called so-called uh, healing crusades uh, by people, and oftentimes I watch them, and I have remained skeptical. I'm not so sure what I just saw. Sometimes was of God. Um, I believe in healing. I believe in the power of God. I believe in miracles. Uh, I believe that the gifts that God gave the early church uh, are still in effect, are still available for the current church. I, I, I see no reason why they've been withdrawn or retracted by God. And so I believe that it is quite possible for God to do miracles uh, among his church. And I, I believe that, that this is this is something that, that can be normative. Um, yet in spite of that, I've watched on like on TV I've never really been at a personally at a healing service like I'm describing but I've watched kind of these healing services and after they're over I think to myself what did I just see uh, sometimes it borders on the bizarre and not only have I asked the question uh, was that of God but sometimes I really think that it wasn't, um, and that what we may have wit- witnessed was some sort of charlatan or something like that. So, uh, so I, I do, I, I know where the skeptic is coming from. Some of the stuff just looks bogus, and I think the skeptic is saying, you know, did you ever notice that sometimes people who come up for healing are getting healed of subjective complaints? You know, my back hurts, my leg hurts. Um, uh, maybe I don't have hearing or something like that. And nobody in the audience could look at that person and say, well, his back doesn't hurt or something like that. Uh, in other words, they're rather subjective complaints. Someone prays for them and suddenly they jump around the stage and they're healed suddenly and things like that. Um, and when it's a continual stream of subjective type of complaints, I suppose one can be skeptical. What's really going on here? And there might be reason to be skeptical because in the past it has been demonstrated on some occasions that some of these people are in fact charlatans. They're, they're tricksters. Uh, they're, they're not supernatural healers, but they are employing, uh, let's say, sleight of hand because there's some financial gain in it. So uh, I think we have to be skeptical and cautious of some of the things we see today, even as it comes to us under the guise of Christianity. Now, that being said, um, I'm no longer maybe on the side of skeptics uh, on this issue. I think there's something that the skeptic or the person who asked this question needs to hear out, and that's what I want to address today. Uh, To make my point, I'm going to uh, point to a, a passage of Scripture that you may be familiar with, and I believe this makes the point that I want to make better than I can, actually. It's taken from Luke chapter 16. There in Luke chapter 16, beginning with verse 19, Jesus tells a story or a parable. I'm not really sure if it's a parable or if it's actually a true-life story, 
um, I just don't know. Uh, it might be a true story or it might be one that Jesus made up or it might be a story that he borrowed from somewhere else. I honestly don't know. And that's not what today's episode is about. OK, we often call it the, the parable, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Now, in this story, uh, Jesus uh, he said he describes there was a rich man. He uh, lived very. He lived in luxury every day. Um, he had lots of food and and he was good clothing. And right outside of his doors, right you know, right on the streets, right outside where this man lived, there was a very poor man. He was a beggar, and Jesus actually named him. His name was Lazarus, not not to be confused with the Lazarus whom Jesus raised in in John chapter eleven. But a, a different Lazarus. It was a common name in Jesus' time. And this beggar, this Lazarus, lived right outside the rich man's doors, easy reach of the rich man. And it says he was covered with sores. Uh, he was uh, longing to eat whatever kind of scraps that he could get. And, and even the dogs would come by and kind of lick his, his wounds, lick his sores. A, kind of a, a picture, in, a, in fact, maybe of a helpless man who couldn't even defend himself from the dogs who, who came around. Very... very um, Difficult scene here uh, emotionally to imagine. Uh, a man who's rich and lived in luxury and right beside him is a man who lives um, in despair. Well, Jesus said a time came and both the rich man and Lazarus died. The angels came and carried uh, Lazarus, the beggar, to the bosom of Abraham. That's sort of a, a phrase that Jesus uses. Uh, probably the Jews used it. Uh, we might understand that to be paradise or maybe even heaven, we might call that. The rich man who had lived in splendor all of his life um, was buried and he was taken to the grave. And there Jesus said that he was tormented. So his ending was not quite as good as Lazarus, obviously. Now, in Jesus' story, this rich man is in this place of torment and he looks up to Father Abraham, and I guess he can see Father Abraham, who I, I don't know if that's God or who, who that really is in Jesus' story. I, 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 again, that's not for today's talk. I, I don't know who these really represent. Perhaps this is God. But he calls out to Father Abraham, and he says, hey, you know, kind of have pity on me. Could you, could you send Lazarus down here and, and just have him dip the finger, uh, his finger in some water and, and let me cool my tongue down because I'm in agony down here. Um, apparently he hadn't quite learned his lesson. He must have seen Lazarus as being his servant boy. Um, and Abraham said, you know what? I can't. Uh, you know, you know, you in your lifetime, you received many good things. And right outside your door was Lazarus. And he was the recipient of many bad things. And you did nothing to help him, I think is the implication there. And um, he's being comforted here now. And, you know, you're where you need to be. And he is where he should be. Uh, and then, then Father Abraham says, and, and besides all of this, you know, there's this great chasm between you and uh, me. I, w he couldn't come over there if I wanted him to. I don't want him to, but even if he, if I wanted him to, he still couldn't cross. I don't really what all that necessarily means, but I'm just telling you the story that Jesus told so we can get to the point <laughs> that I'm trying to make today. And then the um, the rich man said, oh, you know, please, please, please. I'm paraphrasing here. Please, just if you won't do that then send Lazarus back to my family because I have these five brothers and I'm afraid that, you know, if they're not warned, they will be in this same place. Evidently, he saw his brothers as people who were probably living much like he had lived 
And he was concerned that if they didn't change their ways, if they didn't amend their their ways, that they would end up in this place of torment. And so this man said, could you just send Lazarus back to warn them? So, you know, they can get straightened out. Now, Abraham's response is interesting. And he said, you know what? They have Moses and the prophets. You know, they have the scriptures. Well, why, why, they could just read that. And they could be, you know, they can be uh, fair, warned very fairly from that. And the rich man's response is, no, 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 no. He said, but, but if someone goes back from the dead, then they'll repent of their ways and, and not be here. You know, that's what they really need. And uh, Father Abraham in this story says they have Moses and the prophets. And if they're not convinced by them, then they're not going to be convinced by someone who rises from the dead. Now, I think that the, the immediate take from this story in, in, in Jesus' day was that the the religious leaders in, in Jesus' day, they were not receiving him as they should have. They had the law and the prophets, and yet they didn't believe the law and the prophets. And therefore, upon the resurrection of Jesus himself, they probably wouldn't accept that because they, they didn't accept the law and the prophets. So rising from the dead is not going to give them any any greater sense of, of belief than the law of the prophets. They could read that. And that's how that story ends right there. But I think that that story is helpful to us in uh, understanding the skepticism that's being leveled, uh, I guess, at the, at the church or maybe even God himself. Uh, the skeptics is saying, hey, um, you know, God's not healing amputees, right? Well, you never find these kind of objective kinds of, um, of healings. So therefore, God must, you know, hate them. Or I think really what they're saying is God doesn't exist, you know, and that's why he's not doing these obvious uh, types of miracles. Let me first say that uh, that we do have a case of an amputee uh, being healed uh, that comes right out of Scripture. Uh, it's in the Gospel of John. I believe it's in the 19th chapter, if I'm not mistaken. Um no, you know what? I think it's in the 18th chapter. Um, I, I think it's in the 18th chapter of John. Anyway, Jesus is, is being arrested, and Peter is there. Um, Peter suddenly, I guess, sees everything that's happening and is uh, taken by it, and, and he pulls out his sword, and he lashes out at the chief priest. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that he's probably trying to kill him, or, you know, swinging for his head, and the, the chief priest's servant, I should say. The chief priest's servant probably ducks. I'm, I don't, I'm reading between the lines here. I don't know. But instead of striking him on the head, he actually catches his ear, and he slices his ear off. Uh, I'm sure Peter was not aiming to cut this man's ear off. I, I think it was probably much more sinister than that. But in any event, um, he, he amputated the man's ear. And uh, we have in John chapter 18, pretty sure that's the chapter, Jesus uh, picking up the ear and healing the man. So we, we actually do have a case of God, through Jesus Christ, healing an amputee. Um, but I don't think that would satisfy those who answer this question or ask this question. I think they're looking for something much more than just that. But my question to them would be, what is it going to take you to believe anyway? Uh, you know, I, I I think what Jesus in the parable that I talked about from Luke chapter 16 is saying that there are some people who are so committed to unbelief that even if they were to witness a great miracle, in, in that case the resurrection, they're still not going to believe. And, and that's because I believe they're so committed 
to unbelief. And I just have this sense that those who ask why God won't heal amputees are probably coming from the same position. It's not an honest question. It's not saying, hey, we we really want to know why this isn't occurring so that we can believe. It's that we don't believe. We want you to not believe with us, I think. Here we have already now the resurrection of one man. Jesus raised from the dead. When it comes to miracles, I think that is the miracle of miracles. How can a person who is dead raise himself back up from the dead? So we have this um, really supreme miracle. It was witnessed, or at least those who uh, lived in Jesus' day witnessed him after the resurrection. They talked with him. Uh, they, you know, they exchanged with him. Um, they fed him. Uh, you know, they were in his presence. They saw him. They saw the, the wounds that he had had, which had killed him. And therefore, there is sufficient evidence to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And this, the resurrection, as I said before, is like the miracle of miracles. So if we have the miracle of miracles, why is it important that we have a seemingly less important miracle or less significant miracle? If we have a man who was dead and was able to raise himself back up from the dead, then why do we need anything else to believe? And I think that's the same question that Jesus was asking the Pharisees. You have the law and the prophets. And the man, and, and you know, or, excuse me, the rich man said, no, 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 you know, they, they need more than that. They need more than that to believe. He said, you know what? Rising from the dead won't make them believe. Again, because I think some people are committed to unbelief. And you know, I've I've seen this uh, in my own ministry. There's a there's a man that I'm thinking of right now, a young man who I met some years ago, uh, and uh, in in discussing faith with him, he shared with me a very very um, momentous occasion in his life where God answered a prayer very very powerfully, so powerfully. He wept in front of me, just describing how God had intervened in his life and had had done this amazing thing. And uh, for some time, this man was on a great track. He was just, you know, learning all that he can about God and trying to draw as close to God. But then trouble hit. And in really just a short matter of time, he turned his back on God. And I tried to remind him of how this event in his life had so changed him, this this miracle, how God had answered his prayer, and he was just brushing it off. He just, he really didn't want to hear that anymore. And sadly, that's the way things often go, I believe. Sometimes God does do a miracle. Sometimes God does do a big thing in our lives, and sadly, it's not enough. And we turn our backs on him. And I think in those instances, the reason why we turn our backs on him is because we simply aren't committed to believe anyway, as in the case of this young man whom I'm thinking about. And likely in the case of the people who made the video, why doesn't God heal amputees? Not that they're serious about trying to find a way to believe, but they're trying to find a way not to believe. I mean, they have the resurrection. What more do we need to believe in God than that? And who are we to set the standard? Who are we to say to God, you know, you you need to do it this way. You need to respond to me this way, and then I'll believe. 
what obligation does God have to, to respond the way we demand that he responds? Now, incidentally, sometimes I think he does. I think sometimes people do cry out for miracles, for a touch from God, and there's no reason why God should give it to him, but he, or to them, but he still does. And then the onus is on us. If God has answered the prayer, why are we still not in belief? Why do we remain in disbelief if God has moved in our lives? And more so than that, if God has raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and this was witnessed and testified to be true, what more do we need to believe? And so my answer to the skeptic who insists that God heals amputees, if God never heals an amputee, I'll still believe. If I'm if I have an amputation, if if, if I lose a, a hand and God doesn't heal it, I'm not going to turn to disbelief. God is God, and I'm not. I believe because Jesus raised from the dead. And my faith is based on that miracle, not any lesser that does or does not occur. Now, what about you? Has God done something in your life? Has God come through? Has he met you at some point, demonstrating his love, his presence to you? If so, how are you living today? How are you responding to the faith that he's begun in your life? I think it's wrong of us sometimes to insist that God meets our criteria, our way of thinking. Rather, we have to mold ourselves, conform ourselves to the way God is, to the way He thinks. If we don't believe in the greatest miracle, the raising of Jesus Christ, then I doubt very much we'll believe if any miracle ever ever occurs. This is uh, Dane Kramer from the Thinking Christian Podcast. I'll see you next time.